0: and follow BSL on Twitter. Twitter.
2: Welcome to On The Verds. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And on tonight's episode, we're going to get into discussing the players that the Orioles recently added to their 40-man roster. That'll be a a little bit later on in our show, but first, I'm going to introduce tonight's guest. He is an infielder in the Orioles minor league system. Just had an excellent 2022 season, which started out in low A Delmarva before before moving up to high A Aberdeen and then ending in double A Bowie. Uh, he is Daryl Hernandez. Daryl, how are you? Doing good. How are you guys doing? Good, and it's great to have you on here. And just, you know, we're a few months out now from the end of the season, and you obviously had a lot of things go really well for you, um, excelling at three levels in the minor leagues. But now that you've had time to think about it, what do you think were the strengths and weaknesses of your season?
0: Yeah, I mean, starting off um... – it was tough for me to go back to Don That was kind of a little bit tough for me at first. And then I feel like um, just helping the young guys out, they didn't really know what they were doing in a lot of things. And I had to kind of guide them and kind of walk them through a lot of things. It was a lot of little mental things. And that kind of helped me out kind of being more mature and helping being a better teammate, I guess you could say. And then after that, I mean, I had – I did pretty good there, I would say. And then getting called up to Aberdeen, it was uh, just a little bit different, obviously. And then it was a lot like more, I guess, more mature game, you could say, than the low game. And then I feel like some things I did well this year was I ran pretty well. had a decent amount of stolen bases. Um, I feel like I played some pretty good defense. At first, I was making some errors but I cleaned that up and then I feel like I uh, made a lot of contact this year, some good contact. It wasn't just uh, put the ball in play. It was more like hitting the ball hard. Some things that I didn't do as well, I would say it was that I remember the errors in the beginning. I was kind of making a lot of errors. It was a young team too. That was tough a little bit at first. And then some other things was, well, I guess just not naturally in baseball, just the ups and downs, just, Trying to limit the downsides, but I feel like I had a pretty good year overall, and then ultimately I ended up uh struggling and Bowie and that little bit that I got called up. But I'm really grateful that they uh called me up and let me experience the level before uh next year, so now I know what to expect versus just staying in Ivory the whole year.
1: Yeah, you mentioned going back to Del Marva, I think I know the three of us were pretty shocked to see you that break camp roster and see you back in Del expecting you to be. In Aberdeen, we thought you had a pretty decent year, uh, that 2021, and especially considering you were what, 19 years old uh, that season as well. But you go back to Del Marva, and we had Sam Jelinek on a couple of times actually this season. And honestly, the story he told the first time he came on was my favorite story that any guest told the season. And he talked about that the leadership role you took on in Del Marva, even telling guys like, hey, it, it's cold. Like, I don't think you understand how cold it's going to get tonight. Make sure you wear long sleeves. But even little things like that, I mean, Uh, what was that just, what was the the vibe like for that young Delmarva team? Considering there's a lot of young international teenage prospects who were probably learning more about life than, than baseball down there at the beginning of the year.
0: Yeah, honestly, I, it's so much that I could tell you stories for pretty much this whole time. It's tough. You don't even think about just because you're used to it. Like that's just what your life is. You're used to it, but they're not used to it. So it was kind of just, their everyday lives outside the field in their apartment i was like hey make sure like you do this make sure you do that and they had no clue they had no clue so i kind of was like a big brother to them more and they a lot of them see me more like as a big brother more than anything else even though i'm the same age but it was more like hey make sure you do this or like hey guys like let's make sure we're on time because just different things like that it was it was crazy but yeah man those first couple games it was really cold and I was like, hey, guys, make sure you guys wear long sleeves. And then we just wear the thin long sleeves. And I'd be like, no, I don't understand. It's going to be, like, really cold. Like, you need to, like, make sure you get, like, bundled up. So then, yeah, it was fun, man. When I was there, when I first got uh, moved there, I was surprised, too. And I was a little bit upset. But, I mean, I just try to make the most out of it. And I'm I'm really grateful for it because it taught me a lot about um, – I mean, I was born in Puerto Rico, but Puerto Rico is not even close to Dominican. And I grew up over here in the States. So it just like made me relate to them a lot more as a human being, just because they don't know, or they, nobody tells them anything. And I felt like I helped them out a lot in that way, more than just baseball. Yeah.
3: That's really cool. And first off, shout out to Sean Poland and Fernando Delgado for helping us get connected here to make this happen tonight. But uh, yeah. So, you know, these guys, these young guys coming from the international side, did, was there anyone that really jumped out as far as just raw ability, even if, you know, took some adjustment to get to the the climate, the full season ball, did anyone stand out as like a special talent?
0: I would say, you know who I think is really good? uh Dayson. I think Dayson is really good. I think I, it was tough for me to watch because I know how good he is or I've seen him in practice or whatever. And the raw ability I personally think is it could be like a special but it's just so raw and he had trouble navigating stuff like that i was like hey you got to do some things you got to take care of everybody this and that but he struggled and i feel like he also got cut off caught up and like had a couple of bad games and like i need to change something and and he hits a lot of ground balls so he was trying to lift the ball too much and then striking out and it was like it was a little bit more mental i would say but I think the, I think he has a really high ceiling if he learns to, I guess it's more mental more than anything, but I think he could be really, really good.
3: Yeah. We're still high on him. And we liked, even though obviously you were disappointed to go back to DeMarva. we really liked the way you came out and just dominated that league second time through. Was there anything, you know, at least was it able to show you how much you had improved from the prior season to go back to that same level?
0: yeah it it honestly did it also that's also why I'm grateful for going back because I feel like maybe I wouldn't have had as good a season in I guess Aberdeen if I didn't have as much confidence maybe um who knows I feel like I had a ton of confidence in spring training, but I guess just seeing it in a full season like starting off hot and hitting homers or whatever it was it was cool and it just made me feel like it gave me a lot of confidence so it was that was awesome.
3: Yeah. Speaking of Aberdeen, it seems like it's a really tough place to hit. Maybe underappreciated aspect of that park, especially for power hitters, seems to really take a lot of the sting out of the ball. Maybe it's deep in the right places. I'm not exactly sure why, but what was your experience like hitting there? And is it as much of a unique challenge as it appears to be?
0: Yeah, I think I think it is. Uh, thankfully, I, I played pretty well there, but it was tough and I noticed it. Thankfully, like I said, I played pretty well, but those, uh, everybody's complaining pretty often. Um, the center field, uh, the backdrop, what's called the batter's eye, is see-through. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you, when it's 6 o'clock or 6.30, 7 o'clock, when the game starts at 7, the first couple innings, you can't really see the spin at all. Mm-hmm. And then after that, the gaps are just really, really, really deep. The lines aren't bad, but the gaps are really, really deep. And I don't know what it is, but the ball doesn't really fly there. When we went to the, the South League, it was man, it was easy to hit compared to <laughs> our field. But other than that, I know before there was a trouble. There was a light in center field, like a night light, like a post, and there was a light. Mm-hmm. So the ball was coming out of that light, and you couldn't pick it up. But they ended up turning that off. So that was hard too. And man, it was it's a lot. Of, it was a lot of things, but. Uh, some of them ended up getting fixed. I don't know if you guys remember, there was a storm at some point and the lights got messed up. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't see the ball for a couple of days too, but then they ended up fixing that too. But, it, yeah, it's a lot of little things that – the the turf isn't very fast either, as you would think, playing in the turf field. It's not that fast. So it's just little things like that, but I don't know. I guess people have struggled. Sense, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm just say, if you have some of those nights, I know, you know, talking to guys like Kobe Mayo and Connor Norby, like they get called up to Bowie and, you know, you see some, some fans that you know, pull up there, you know, the stat lines and say like, well, they weren't hitting that well. And you're like, you talk to the guys and they're like, well, actually, like I was hitting the ball extremely well. And you look at how many home runs I got robbed or what your batting average maybe should have been um, You know, telling you're talking about kind of what you can you know, on a night to night basis. What are, what are the coaches sit down and talk to you guys about? Or what are you looking at and saying, like, how difficult is it to say, like, all right, I should have had three hits last night or like two, a two home run game, but I went over for four. what are you guys looking at and going over and saying, all right, just keep doing what I'm doing. And hopefully the hits just start falling.
0: Yeah, the main thing that uh, that they preach is hitting the ball hard and a good trajectory. So I would say, like, let's say you get three of those that night and you go over for. four. That's something also I learned this year versus last year. I was Last year, I was a little bit more concerned about the actual stats. This year, I was kind of more, I guess, just playing the game. But basically, let's say you hit three balls hard tonight, and you go 0 for 4. So you, the next day or whatever, you have a report, and that report is seen all the way up through the system. So they know that you hit three balls hard. Right? And like it wasn't just an 0 for 4 with four bad at-bats. So it's seen and it's being tracked. So that gives everybody the confidence and the org to just hit the ball hard or, you know, just have a good at bat rather than in control of the strike zone. They also see that. So, I mean, just kind of more the process more than the result because I guess if you go four for four with four bloopers, I mean, everybody will take that. I promise you. But at the end of the day, those days that you don't do good – and you
2: have a good process behind it, it's also being seen. How do the coaches do in selling that to you? Because I'm sure that that is a bit of an adjustment where you're not necessarily having to focus on the day-to-day stats that we can see in a box score.
0: Yeah, so if, like I said last year, was a little bit tough for me because I would be, let's say, I don't know, oh for my last, I don't know, let's just say 10. And I'd be hitting the ball pretty good. but I'd be like my dad or something. Would be like, hey, like, what what happened? I didn't see the game, but I saw you went over again. Like, I'm like, actually, I hit the ball well. Like, I feel good, but you know, you can't really tell, I guess, sometimes unless you watch the game, maybe. But it just gives you that confidence, and the coaches, like I said, preach that every day, and like they see that, and they they can show you your numbers, like let's say, for example, like hard hit
2: rate or whatever. Speaking of coaches, um you spent a good portion of this season playing under first year manager Roberto Mercado, who was honored with the organization's Cal Ripken Senior Player Development Award. Can you give us some insight into the impact he had on you and your teammates?
0: Yeah, it was it was awesome playing for him, especially uh he has family from Puerto Rico, so we had that little connection too. So that was cool. His parents are from Puerto Rico. But uh no, he was awesome. He he loves winning. He, uh, he's really competitive. I, uh, I learned that, um, for example, we'd pinch hit a little bit more than other teams would, things like that, try to win games. So it was, it was awesome. Uh, he worked on me on a lot, like, especially my, uh, it's called my jumps while playing defense, my reads, I guess you could say that was the main thing that we worked on defensively, me and him specifically, because, uh, Sometimes I would get let's say a little bit lazy with my feet in the pre-pitch. So that was one thing he like was on me about making sure I was I got that down for the higher levels, but it was awesome working with him. He was he's awesome and he loves winning, so I really enjoyed that cuz I'm a competitor.
1: Yeah, it was looking at his resume and you have to imagine the Orioles saw a bright future with him in this organization to have no pro experience and to be right there in high A and that team goes to the championship series. Speaking of that championship series um, that we were talking about a little bit before we came on air, but you spent a good chunk of that year in Aberdeen, but then in the year in Bowie, obviously, you want to end in Bowie, you want to end in Baltimore. That's the goal. But um, what is that like for you to look back at that Aberdeen team and be like, was there a part of you that was like, man, I kind of wish I was playing in that championship series, kind of see that through?
0: Yeah, um, when I got called up, it was uh, it was a really good feeling. I wanted to get called up, but at the same time, I was like, I mean, I just kind of just want to finish the year out and try to go win to get a ring. I wanted my ring. My first year, we almost we almost had it, but uh, the hurricane, I don't know if you guys know about that. Uh, yeah, yeah worked, season but,
3: got washed out.
0: Yeah, I thought it was going to be for sure the year, and I thought we were going to be able to do it. But uh, then I got called up, and I was like, well, I mean, I can't be mad about this. <laughs> so I just, I mean. It was uh, awesome in double A, and I was watching every game. I ended up uh, getting a COVID. I don't know if you guys know that or not, but yeah, but I was watching every game online on my uh, MILB. So I was on it and I was uh, cheering them on. It was unfortunate they came up short at the end, but yeah, it was, I was a little bit like, man, I wish I could help them out some way. But uh, no, I mean, it was cool. It's just baseball, it's just minor leagues, you know, it happens all the time. So,
1: yeah one, what are you gonna do right <laughs>
0: yeah
1: one thing that I think really stood out to me at least this year was the number of guys who were in Aberdeen and made the jump to Bowie and it just seemed like these guys just didn't miss a beat after that promotion Connor Norby turned into Barry Bonds down there in, in <laughs> yeah. Bowie and AAA Kobe Mayo takes off I know he had a little bit of an injury but he took off Colton Cowser, I mean became I don't even know what you call that yeah. amazing um you only got 13 games in Bowie. You mentioned the, the COVID. Um, so your, your time got interrupted a little bit there, but you were still four years younger than the rest of the league. And I thought from my viewpoint is I live here in Virginia. So my viewpoint is MILB-TV as well. I still thought you looked confident at that plate. Like you'd been in Bowie all year long. Have you found each jump as smooth as the rest of these players and everybody else make it seem to be?
0: Uh oh, man, I wish I could tell you it was easy. It's not it, it's not easy, obviously. But uh I would say for guys like Kowser, Kowser got his routine down pretty well. I could tell you that when he went up to double A. I could tell you that that was part of it. Norby, I feel like Norby both well, he had a little mechanical change. I, I'm sure you guys know that. And uh I know at least those two guys. I don't know if I talked to Kobe too much about it, but um, Norby and Colton, I know that, like, let's say their expected numbers were more seen in Bowie rather than Aberdeen. Like, you know those Mm -hmm. balls that were hitting hard in Aberdeen that were even, let's say, doubles or fly balls, those ended up being homers in Bowie. Mm -hmm. So it was like, I remember, uh, for example, I would call Colton or something and be like, what's going on? Where's this juice coming from? It's like, man, the ball is going out here. You gotta get up here. So it's kind of it's I mean, it helps a little bit to be in Bowie rather than Aberdeen, as far as um, those, but I'm sure they I mean when I played with Norby, like he said, he was he was ridiculous. I like, it was crazy. And uh same thing they told me when I got there, they told me about Joey. They were like, dude, this guy is just I mean, I, I've known Joey was really good even before everybody like started talking about him but i mean what he had the second half was just ridiculous but yeah they were all when i got there they were like it's gonna be tough to replace joey so good luck <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, was, i
3: got yeah. to got to talk to kobe mayo like before his last game in high a, I was there and i talked to him for like a couple minutes before the game and he was telling me about my expected slugging is like 150 points higher than my actual and my batting average, and he was telling me about all that stuff, and of course, I think he hit one or two home runs in that game and then got promoted and obviously finished pretty strong considering the injury, but yeah, it's very interesting just to see the difference between levels, but it isn't often that a farm system graduates the best prospect in baseball, Adley Rutschman, and then next thing you know, they replaced him with the next best prospect in baseball, Gunnar Henderson, who obviously you've spent a lot of time with, but just tell Orioles fans just how stacked and deep this organization is right now.
0: I mean, the best way I could put it is um, I'll tell you something, actually, that other teams tell us. A lot of other teams, I don't want to say specifically who or whatever, but they'll tell us and they'll come up to us in the middle of the game and they'll be like, man, you guys got like four guys that could be hitting three-hole for us in double-A when I was in high-A. Like, you guys got like four of those guys that could be hitting – For us in double a or whatever so i would say like that's how deep we are i feel like we have guys that are unranked or whatever it's called um that could easily be let's say top 15 somewhere else i think so i truly think so because when we play other teams in spring training or in the season i just feel like we're so much better than them and like i don't mean that in like mean way but just we're so talented i like think we're so deep in every position i feel like so yeah man it's it's special i think what they're building it's it's pretty impressive honestly
3: yeah we completely agree with that assessment we put out a top 50 every month during the season and it's like even guys that are we're leaving off this top 50 are like legit prospects they could see major league time so yeah it's crazy
2: so when you were drafted back in 2019, MLB Pipeline actually described you as a shortstop starter kit. Um, in other words, someone who had a little bit of everything in your game. What we've seen since then is that your power has started to shine through, particularly last season. Your speed on the base pass has been impressive, and you've really shown off your defensive versatility in a meaningful way. Um, with all of that said, is there a particular area of your game that you take the most pride in?
0: Oof! I I honestly take the most pride in being as 5 tools as I can. Like being completely honest with yeah. you, I I know that's kind of avoiding your question, but uh, seriously, I try to be like solid in, in every face of the game. And I feel like, because I feel like those players are the best players. Every someone that's solid in every way, not just one hole. It's not like I'm gonna have a uh, Joey Gallo power or whatever you want to call it. So I try to be as solid as I can in everything, but I mean, I don't know. I really do focus on everything. I try to make my defense as steady as I can. And like I said, I keep trying to run and get my bags and just hit. Obviously, if you hit, you'll be fine. so.
1: So, With the defense in particular, just like pretty much every other infield prospect in the organization, the Orioles kind of move you around a bit, second base, shortstop, third base. We see a lot of guys play infield and outfield, too. Um, where, where do you feel most comfortable out there on the diamond?
0: Well, before I would tell you for sure, shortstop. Now I feel pretty similar, like honestly, in all of them shortstop, I've played my whole life. So it's kind of like, I feel like I have the most natural range, I guess, because I have instincts there my whole life, but I feel really good at third. I feel like I'm almost a shortstop playing third because I play usually pretty deep and I go get everything. And at second base, I feel like, I mean, it's just, it's a closer throw, so it kind of makes it easier in that sense. But I feel comfortable in every base now, and I'm, I'm happy they did that to me, and I guess everybody, because I mean, now I can play everywhere. But I guess to answer your question, I guess I could say shortstop, but they all, I don't really feel that much of a difference.
1: Did you get to work a lot with uh, Tim Dijon when you were up there in Bowie? We had him on as a guest, and he seems like uh, quite the guy to to get to work with every single day.
0: Yeah, he brings that energy. He's uh he's fun. Uh, yeah, I got to work with him a little bit. I got to work. I work with him every spring training, like a, de- a decent amount. And then uh, when I got to Bowie, uh, he uh, he was on me, but he said we're gonna keep working the spring training. So I'm excited.
3: Yeah, I mean. I think it's good to have versatility, especially in the infield in this organization with so many guys coming up. It doesn't hurt to be able to play more positions. And you played with Gunnar Henderson, we were talking about uh, a little bit earlier. You played with him in the GCL in 2019, almost won the title, and then started 2021 again, both in Del Marva. Uh, are you surprised by his meteoric rise through the system and how much success he's been able to have so far at such a young age? And does that, does that motivate you to follow in his, his track next year?
0: Not one bit. I'm not even <laughs> remotely surprised. Since I uh since I met him, I mean, everybody could kind of tell. Like we I mean, we ended up getting him in the second round, but I mean we'd play all the first rounders from the other teams, and I was like, dude, this guy's not even like it's not even close. This guy's so much better. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what our guys did, but they were a lot smarter than in my opinion, in other teams. Cause I mean, look at this guy, he's so much better. <laughs> oh, so, it was cool. And then he also became like my best friend off the field so that was that was awesome but the reason why I'm not surprised I'm sure you guys have heard but he's a he's a really good hard worker like extremely hard worker and just really competitive and if you guys see him play he runs hard all the time he's really competitive you could tell like he cares and like that's kind of how I am sometimes I don't show it as much as he does or sometimes I show him more I guess sometimes I get agitated but I think I'm not surprised at all just because he has so many physical gifts like just being, he's a six four, two twenty whatever shortstop that can run and hit for powers, crazy. But uh, he's made the most out of it. Like he truly worked hard. I, I've gone to his house and worked out with him in the offseason a little bit, and he works really hard. So I mean, he deserves everything. He's a awesome. Pr- I can't say enough about him. He's he's awesome, and I'm not surprised one bit. Like, um. I don't know if you guys heard the story about him telling his girlfriend uh, that he was gonna make it to the big leagues this year. Mm-mm. I didn't, didn't hear, that hear it. Oh well, no, it it, it kind of came out in Twitter. That's where I saw it. But I, oh, okay, he, he told me that too. Since we're really close friends, when we were in spring training, he told me like he's like I'm gonna I'm gonna make it to the to the big leagues this year. And uh, if he would have said that to a lot of people, they would probably laugh. But I honestly believe them just because he's so like determined and focused, and I mean it pushes me. I'm, I'm, it, it definitely motivates me as well. And to answer your other question, like for sure, that's, that's my goal to get up there as soon as possible. And the way uh, we've talked about it before is we still talk to this day pretty often. But uh, just like I'm kind of like one year behind him in a sense, like I kind of had a similar year that he had last year. So trying to to replicate this year, not obviously replicated, but kind of like those steps, the double A, triple A. We'll
2: see what happens about the big leagues, but it'll be awesome. Going back a little bit, you and Gunnar kind of had a similar experience where you were both high school draftees in 2019 and the pandemic wiped out what would have been your first full seasons in 2020. Do you think it was harder for you as a player coming out of high school to – bounce back from that and get into the routine of playing a full season or do you not think there was much of a difference between you and the players that maybe had a year or two of pro ball under their belts?
0: Um, I mean, looking back at it, you could say like those at-bats, I mean, those at-bats would have obviously like top develop a little bit quicker, I guess you could say, just to see the pitching. But I mean, just as a competitor, I I can't say that it's that much of a difference to you like, I feel like You're either going to be good or you're not. I don't know. I just, (laughs) as a competitor, I don't want to say like, oh, like I didn't have a year. So that's the reason why, like, no, like I think, you know, you either are going to have or you're not and you work hard. And I mean, I worked hard throughout that COVID year. So I'm sure I gained different experiences. And like, it made me more grateful to play the game also. Like everybody has said, like having that time off but I don't want to say it makes a difference just because everybody went through it in the world, not just base, like baseball players, every sport did, but obviously in baseball, it's pretty important to get at bats just to, you know, keep developing. But mm. I don't want to say that it made that big of a difference.
1: So we're here in the off season. It's hopefully it's wind, hopefully winding down soon. I'm ready to get you guys back out on the field and watch you guys. But, um, What's your plan for the rest of this offseason? Is there anything in particular you're focused on, an area of your game you're focusing on? Or what's kind of the general plan for a hitter like yourself over the winter?
0: Yeah, so my main focus is offseason, which thankfully I'm doing a good job of is uh putting on strength, just building my base, building my foundation for the this year, hopefully having the longest year of my life, meaning like double AA, A, triple A, and hopefully playing as many games as I can. So just getting ready for that physically and uh just putting on some weight a little bit. I'll put on some weight every year, but this year I'm trying to put on a little bit more just because and keeping my speed, obviously. I'm running every day or mostly every day, and I'm putting on quite a bit of weight, I would say. And uh just uh that's my main focus right now, and uh just building that base, that's like the main thing, and then Outside of that is uh, cleaning up my uh, swing path, just making it as clean as possible. Um, just playing with guys like Norby, like you guys said, he, had a, he has such a good path. That's why he drives the ball so well to right center. So, like, like, just trying to work on that, honestly, that's, like, are my main two focuses. And obviously everything, I mean, not just that, but those are my main two focuses. I would say that just being able to drive, ball, drive the ball to right field, and just get stronger.
3: So what are you doing in your downtime? We know that Gunnar Henderson and Colton Kowser obviously get into their Legos. That was a big story last year. <laughs> what are you doing? You playing uh, the new God of War? You play Marvel Snap on your phone? What do you get up to?
0: Um, well, I'm a pretty laid back person. So I kind of just hang out with the family. And then I, uh, I play some video games. I got the new Call of Duty. I was actually playing with Gunner the other day, so yeah, we uh, we play some Call of Duty, and then I'll play some of the show. I see. I enjoy my time playing the show right now because during the season, after going over four, you don't want to go play <laughs> online and take another beating in baseball. So I play. I play it in the off season, but I try not to play it in the season
3: makes sense and uh last question i got is what are your goals for 2023 call your shot are you are you gonna do the gunner and, and get called up at the end of next year set up for rookie of the year in 2024
0: what's going on so, I, I mean i would love that <laughs> um my goals is, is honestly just to enjoy every day i feel like that's what i did this year i like truthfully a lot of people say that but i tried to enjoy every single game and let the stuff take care of itself um my goal is just to be the best version of myself, I feel like it'll naturally take care of itself. But obviously playing two at least two levels in one year is something every, everybody wants to do. And I guess you could say that's that's my goal. I think everybody wants to get a call up every year. So we could
2: say that. Well, Daryl, we really enjoyed having you on tonight. And thank you so much for taking the time to join us. And best of luck getting ready for 2023. We're certainly excited to see you back out in the field.
0: Thank you. Appreciate it,
1: you guys.
3: Yeah. Thanks
2: for coming on. Oh, yeah. yeah. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Daryl <laughs> is a prospect in the Orioles farm system. and In a moment, we're going to talk about the interview and get into the players that were protected with from the Rule 5 drafts with 40-man roster spots last week. But first, the DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is coming soon to Maryland. But you don't have to wait to get on the action. Right now, new customers who sign up with promo code On The Verge will receive $200 in free bets on launch day after registering. Plus, five lucky customers will win a $100,000 free bet on launch day. It won't be long until you can bet same-game parlays, money lines, props, spreads, and more right here in Maryland with DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with the code OnTheVerge to receive $200 in free bets on launch day after registering. Plus, we're giving five customers a $100,000 bonus free bet on Monday, day, only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code on the verge. So, Bob, Nick, we just heard from Daryl Hernays, uh, a rising prospect in the Orioles system, uh, about his breakout 2022 season and some of his goals for 2023. What were your thoughts on our discussion with him?
1: I thought the interesting, for me, the talk about Aberdeen, I felt like was interesting. Um, that it truly is. We talked about this all the time, right? Guys like you know, T.T. T. Bowen's only getting, what, a couple of home runs this year. Connor Norby getting called up, even though the numbers didn't look that great in Aberdeen. Kobe Mayo, all these guys. Yeah, you're working on things, but clearly there were a lot of stuff going on down there uh, in Aberdeen. Um, not just on the field as far as like the field stuff, but just Aberdeen in general, man. Um, and so credit to those guys, I think, for pulling through. And it's good to hear that, you know the organization they see that and the players understand that the entire organization sees that and they know that um you know they're, they're not like the fans just looking at the box scores right they are fully understanding what these guys are doing and it's good that the players understand that so they feel better about that game and so yeah but yeah i'm cheering for her big time i think we said it before that I think honestly, and I'm not just saying this because he was just on the show, we've been saying it all year that he's one of the more underrated prospects in this entire system. I think, and gets so overshadowed because of Gunner and Norby and Ortiz and uh, Jackson Holiday in the system as well. But you got another one there in Daryl Hernes.
3: Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, he's an easy top 10 prospect in any Orioles <laughs> top prospect list before what 2020, 2019, mm-hmm. something like that. I mean, put up a fantastic year. And it's funny, he said, even before he said that he was focusing on adding weight, I was like, he seems a little bit bigger than I remember. <laughs> um, You know, it, definitely 2021 and even last year. So that's good to see. Maybe that makes the power a little bit more natural when it comes. And yeah, the stuff with the batter's eye and Aberdeen that explain helps explain a lot there. And it's just, you can tell that the Orioles are good at player development probably because they're good at getting buy-in i mean every guy we talk to it's the same thing hey this is what you know they wanted me to do they want me to hit the ball harder they want me to hit the ball more in the air and once i started doing that it it just seems like they're able to get these guys to do the things that are best for them in a i don't know like he said he didn't exactly buy into it like perfectly in 2021 but he got there and it's working so hopefully that's just you know, everyone's on the same page and working towards the same goal. So that, that was cool to hear.
2: Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And I think that, you know, we know the Orioles have their way of looking at things for hitters and for pitchers, but for hitters, what we were discussing with Daryl about how hard you hit the ball, the swing decisions, that's all well and good, but if you can't sell it, then the players don't buy into it. It's not going to be implemented. I think what we're seeing in his uh, breakthrough this past season is evidence of this the players are buying into it and they're able to make adjustments based on that and i think for him specifically he's just such a well-rounded prospect he just does a little bit of everything really well and it was interesting to hear him talk about how he wants to be a true five tool shorts or a true five tool player be good at a little bit of everything
1: yeah. I mean, three levels last year. I mean, 12 home runs just in, when he went back to Delmarva, he matched his 2021 20, home run total in like 250 fewer plate appearances. So clearly he was learning. I, I mean, 21 doubles, 12 home runs last year, five triples, uh, stolen bases, 32 stolen bases. Yeah. Completely well-rounded 341 on base percentage. And he was he's just turned, he's 21, not even 21 and a half. Like he's Going to be about three years younger. If he's he's going to start next year in Bowie, probably obviously, but he's still gonna be about three years younger than the rest of the competition. He's gonna be a 21-year-old kid still essentially in buoy at the start of the 2023 season. So yeah, I mean, if he pops off next year in buoy, he mentioned the COVID thing. We know that got buoy like twice majorly last year. If he pops off in buoy next year, yeah, by the end of the year, he could be one of those guys where you're saying, call up her nays. Where's her nays?
3: Yeah, I kind of get like him and Gunner's friendship. It's like Manny Machado, Jonathan Scope vibes. That would be cool to see them in the major leagues together doing like cool handshakes in the clubhouse or something. But it's just the more we see from these guys, it's like, who was it we talked to? Pretty much everyone, but not just are these players talented. They seem like they have good heads on the shoulders, seem like good people. And 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 yeah, I I don't want to trade anybody now. We got to keep them all. We gotta <laughs> we gotta find a way to fit them all on the roster.
1: Yeah, that was um, Brad Sealik. I think if when you guys had him on, and I, I went there for that one. But that's that quote he said. He he told you guys just stuck with me. It's if a guy fails in this org, I don't want it to be because he didn't have the makeup. So they're gonna they draft guys who have just as good head on their shoulders as they do baseball talent and. Yeah, with all the interactions we've had with players, you see that. I mean, these are all dudes. And uh, even the stories you hear, and we didn't really get into too much of it with Hernández there, but the stories of the coaches themselves saying there's no clicks. It's not like hitters over here, pitchers over there. It's everybody's like one solid unit. And that's just, it's just fun to see. And the story about how other teams coming up and saying, yeah, you guys are stacked. I think that's a testament to, yeah, this farm system truly is a, a stacked unit.
3: Yeah. I like the, you know, the story with Desan. He, he still thinks Michelle Desan has a lot of talent and so do we. So that was good confirmation on our end to stick with him and maybe 2023 is the breakout year for that guy who we thought might've might've been happening this past year, but wasn't meant to be.
2: Well, speaking of talent in the organization, that was reflected was last week's decision to protect five players from the rule five draft by giving them spots on the 40 man roster. If you listened to our show last week, we talked about these five players a lot so it's not a particular surprise to us that grayson rodriguez seth johnson drew rom noah denoyer and joey ortiz were given 40 man roster spots so that works out to a total of four pitchers plus a position player all of them but johnson who had tommy john surgery last summer should be out in the field healthy and ready to go in 2023 um you know, I think that kind of the takeaway that I had was, number one, it's a, another show of how deep this organization's pitching depth is and how deep it's getting that we see four pitchers um, protected, three of which could play a role in the major leagues next year. And then Ortiz, just the rise he has had um, over the last year, really going back to the start of 21, but then, 2021, but then in particular, the second half of 2022 to become one of the best infield prospects in an organization that is stacked with infield prospects. So Bob, um, I don't think that the news was particularly surprising to us to see those five players protected, but what were your thoughts?
3: I was just pleasantly surprised. I mean, I was glad I I thought, I think I said all five were locks, but still it's like, you know, we saw Logan Glass SPB like that surprise guy last year. And, and uh, Vespi left off. So you never know what the what the team's going to do. But, yeah, I was I was pleasantly surprised to see DeNoyer on there. I'm sure some people were not as convinced as us that he was a lock to be added to the 40-man. But, um, yeah, I was happy. I thought maybe there could have been a mystery sixth guy or maybe for the fact that they left someone off that they had a trade close to enacting. But, obviously, that hasn't been the case. Although it has been exciting to see, I think, today and maybe last night just – Orioles and Michael Elias name keep coming up when it comes to, you know, who's who's active, who's in active trade and free agent discussions. It seems like the Orioles are all over it, which is cool to hear until we get some actual traction there. But yeah, um, I bet you all four of those guys that are healthy. Johnson obviously not going to make his major league debut in 2023, but I bet you all three of four of those guys uh, will be pitching slash hitting fielding for the Orioles at some point in 2023. And I, I can't wait to see it
1: yeah i for me no shocker i was the only shock you know there wasn't that much of a shock but i was expecting a surprise six person um i thought it would have been fun i was still waiting for the cage uh, Stroud chaos to commence but um like i honestly enjoyed some of the quotes i know all these guys jumped on zooms with orioles reporters uh and, and i like some of the quotes where i thought were just a little bit interesting like joe ortiz you know, talking about how you know he never really heard this you know glove first kind of moniker before, uh, and now he's on this mission to prove to everyone that he's not just this glove first shortstop, right? That he can really do it all. And I think shout out to Jeff Pont over at Baseball America, he was putting out some good numbers. You know, looking at Ortiz, the guys who were added to forty man rosters, and Ortiz was up there among the best of them in terms of average exit velo and chase rate and swing rate and. So, like, Joey Ortiz, the bat thing, that's legitimate. And Drew Rom wanting to add a couple ticks to, to the fastball velo right? Um, I did find it interesting where he – I don't know if this is just him being humble and saying what you got to say in the interview, but he wasn't sure where he stood. And so it, he was, you know, really happy, obviously, to get that call. But it, we know Rom. I feel like that's – when he was on our show, he knows exactly what kind of pitcher he is. He knows exactly what his ceiling is with his velo, which is why you know, everything else, all other parts of his game he's worked so hard on. But yeah, if he can add just a tick or two, we know the data about every tick on that fastball, how you know, like uh, less productive hitters are against that fastball. So if he's the guy who's sitting 94, 95, I think he could really take off in the big leagues. And then, yeah, with DeNore, it's just, I think it's a testament to, this organization really does believe he has major league stuff what their future role is i don't really know but i put DeNoyer in this group of like ryan watson and justin armbruster peter van loon even and some other guys like they had really good 2022s and they're right there like on the verge i always want to say that phrase and i hate saying it like <laughs> i feel like but i can't think of another phrase there but those guys are all like right there on at this tipping point of they could be really good productive major leaguers or flame out here. And uh, what they've shown is, uh, I think with Denori's case specifically, it's the Orioles believe in that stuff. So we'll see if he makes it to the big leagues next year.
3: Yeah. With Rob, I mean, I think he's, we've always thought very highly of him. He's been in our top 15, top 20, pretty much ever since we started doing these rankings. And I mean, he's still what, 22 years old. So he's, got a better starter kit than john means did when he came up and became the ace of the orioles so i mean potential is there and his floor is high as well like easily could be a multi-inning reliever just able to especially if he's going to be able to sit in close to the mid 90s i mean he's going to be a weapon whether whatever the role ends up being and again I, i'm just starting to really get excited for next season already and it's november so
2: yeah, completely agree. And I want to talk about the Neuer for a minute because to me this is such a good story and I don't know that you can really say enough good about it. He was an undrafted free agent in 2019, back when the draft was still 40 rounds. Uh, he does not get drafted. He gets picked up by the Orioles later that summer. And really what he has done, especially last year and in the last two years, is is one of the better arms in this farm system. And he's the kind of guy who you could look at and you – you know, it's easy to say reliever, and ultimately, I think that's probably where he slots in. But there's the makings of a potential starter there with the stuff that he has.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he's pumping mid 90s as well. He's got a ridiculous curveball, the slider. I think he's another one of these guys that picked up that uh, Jordan Lyles sweeper or whatever, Austin Voth, you know, that sweeper. It really works for him, and he's got a really good changeup as well. I mean, he's got a four pitch mix. And we've said it for years now. The organization clearly believes in the stuff, and the results are there as well. So, yeah, I see no reason to believe that he couldn't be like a Drew mutant for the Rays, like a guy that can surprisingly give you five, six, really, really solid innings most times out, and just surprise a lot of people.
1: And it, you just look at his numbers too. And in Double A, I know I don't know where exactly I saw this, but there might've been an issue about like stretching him out. I guess he really didn't get the opportunity to like fully stretch out. And so maybe the Orioles did want to use him more as a starter, but it just didn't work out that way. I know he was on the IL, I think a couple of times himself, but um, you just look at those double A numbers, like 51 and two thirds innings, more than 12 strikeouts per nine innings and less than two walks per nine innings. Like that's going to play at the double A level um era that 2.61 and the xfip not much higher 3.06 right so I, and this guy's clearly got the stuff he had a really good year out there in arizona i think all things considered when you look at the hitting talent when you look at the pitching environments i think bob mentioned this a lot last week um he's coming off that really good performance as well out in arizona setting himself up nicely for 2023 where like, we'll see. I, I don't really, honestly, at this point, I don't even really care if he's in the rotation or in the bullpen. Like, if the organization believes in the stuff that much, we talked about before how, you know, the changing role of baseball in games, right? If if he wants to be that Drew, Drew Rasmussen, that's perfectly fine, too. Or if you just want to be this guy that, you know, he's a four-inning guy out of the bullpen. Uh You pair a, with a Dia Hall or you pair with a Grayson Rodriguez, because I'm sure, you know, the, the rain's not going to be completely off Grayson Rodriguez next year in the major leagues. So, you pair these up with guys, and that's just going to be, I think, baseball. That's how this game's moving forward, and it's it's smart. So we'll see. See what happens with Denoyer. I'm excited to see what he can do in AAA first, though. So still got one more test.
3: Yeah, I mean, and this trend in baseball, I feel like the Orioles are really set themselves up for it, just because obviously we don't have those top end guys outside of Hall and Rodriguez, as everyone wants to point out. But we are stocked with depth with guys like Denoyer and arm booster. And we could just list 30 names, but I mean, there's only five starters. There's still plenty of room for guys with the stuff and the talent that, that a lot of the pitchers have in this organization that are going to find a role to, to help a team get to that playoffs. And, uh, you know, the betting is opening up in Maryland. I might put my world series bet mm-hmm. on the Orioles already. Let's do it. DraftKings on the, video. <laughs> yes. Check the <laughs> episode description.
2: Um, So I think that if you look at how these players – I want to talk about how these players fit into the team in 2023. Rodriguez would seemingly be the one with the strongest chance to make the opening day roster right now. Um, He would be in the major leagues already if not for that lab injury. We have to see how the offseason plays out with how the Orioles address their middle infield depth. But I get the feeling that Joey Ortiz could be one of those guys where after a month, if he gets off to a good start at AAA – that's going to be the name that fans are clamoring for, that they want to see. And then Rom and Denoyer, I just think it's about getting triple A innings for them at this point. And with Rom, you continue working him as a starter. Uh, Denoyer, you know, maybe you have a little bit of a hybrid type situation, knowing that he may need to go up as either a starter or a reliever or a multi inning reliever, but maybe try to build him up that hybrid role.
1: Yeah, I don't see. Ron would be the only guy, Grayson's making the opening day roster. If he doesn't, there's an issue. Um, But Ron would be the only other guy who I think has the slightest odds of making the opening day roster. I think they're very low. I know he talked about finding a feel for a new change up grip. So, you know, there are still some things I'm sure he could work on in AAA, but he's not going to be too long. Him and Ortiz are going to be for AAA for too long before they're going to be ready to contribute in the major leagues next year. And so yeah, the, I, don't, I don't know. Like, I, I want to see what Rahm looks like in spring training. What's the fastball velo at? Um, you know, is he still using that? That Does he still drop the, the arm angle? Is he still going sidearm against these major league hitters? What's his comfort level there? Like, I think I mentioned it in our live show, like, if there is one prospect of all the prospects in the system, if there is one prospect who I want to pan out more than anyone else, it's Drew Rom just because I think that'd be a real testament to the pitching development for this organization and what they're capable of.
3: Yeah, I would imagine Grayson's going to start either the 4th or 5th game of the of the regular season for the Baltimore Orioles just because you know, you want to start him a little bit later lower in that rotation just to keep just for innings reasons basically. Um but there's no reason I mean they're going to want him to be eligible for that rookie of the year and get a draft pick along with Gunnar so that seems like a lot to me. And I think Rahm and Denoyer will both be in the triple A rotation to start the year, most likely. And Ortiz, I feel like he could fight for a spot on the opening day roster, especially if he comes out hot, but it depends on how the off season goes, but worst case he's in triple A. And if he picks up where he left off, then it's, it's not going to take long for him to, uh to get pretty, pretty close to uh regular playing time at the major league level. I mean, Spring training is going to be so much fun. It's going to be filled with guys that have potential, and we're going to get to see how they do against major league competition. Like we saw John Rhodes last year. Is it going to be Judd Fabian getting in some spring training games this year? So, again, just continue to be excited for the months to come.
2: I'll start with Nick on this question as a follow-up point. Were you surprised that there was not a six-player protected and – could you see a scenario where maybe one or two Orioles, current Orioles are taken in the major league phase of the rule five draft?
1: I am, I was a little surprised. Like I said, that a six guy wasn't added just because, I mean, even if it's a reliever, um, you can stash him now. And if if you have to take him off, then I don't know. But I think the only guy that I was kind of worried about was probably Kyle Branovich. I don't think we really talked about him too much last week. I don't remember, but, you know, Zach Peake, I know some of the Zach Peake stands online, we're we're, we're getting worried. They're getting a little feisty. Zach Peake's not getting picked up. There's nothing to worry about there. Like, maybe a guy like Easton Lucas or Nolan Hoffman, if, since they were just down in Arizona, maybe if a scout really liked what they saw, he gets on a team's list. But other than that, like, I don't really see anybody who would get drafted and stick. I have a hard time finding one of those guys, except maybe Bronovich. That's the only guy. I just feel like it's he's in this unique situation where, like, yes, he's recovering from Tommy John, but he should be back sooner rather than later. I think you always hear that, you know, the command is one of the last things to to happen, to come back to a guy after Tommy John surgery, but he's already kind of this command artist himself. So he doesn't rely on this high-velo fastball. So I imagine it won't take him too long to get back on the mound and feeling more like himself in AAA. But is a team really going to want to play that roster game with him for the next two years before he meets his requirements or whatever? I just don't see anybody getting drafted and sticking. And the only, the only other name I saw a lot of people throw out, I don't. Am I missing something like with Adam Hall here? I saw Adam Hall's name thrown out as a big name, not protected. He's not. It's okay. If you're a Hall fan, he's not going anywhere either.
3: Yeah, I don't really – I mean, yeah. I could see a guy or two getting taken from the Orioles, but I don't see really anyone other than Brnovich. Branovich if uh, you know he does come back faster than the expected timeline, like it looks like maybe a team takes a shot at him and he could stick around. But like a Lucas I could see getting picked or even an Adam Hall, maybe some team takes a flyer on him. But I just can't see a player like that making it the entire year and getting lost from the – the Orioles organization. So, and it's good to see, I did Vivek mentioned it in the comments and I've seen it from other places too, that it's a pretty stacked um eligible group for the rule five coming up. Uh, I think I saw someone uh wish I remembered exactly who it was saying that it could be the most talented rule five, you know, players available for the rule five draft ever. And yeah, I think there are arms and players that are going to be more valuable to teams than on Easton Lucas, Nolan Hoffman, as intriguing as they are. Um, so I'm I'm not too concerned. I think the Orioles made the right calls, and and pitching always is going to go above position prospects in the Rule Five, just because you can put someone the last man in the bullpen. It's a little easier to to play with that than a, a guy who, you know, he's going to be on the bench a lot. How much can you develop him, et cetera, et cetera.
2: Yeah, I feel like if someone is taken out of the Orioles system, it's easiest to see Easton Lucas or Nolan Hoffman going because both of them are coming off that AFL experience. Lucas being a left-hander, possibly having starter stuff could give him an edge. Hoffman is a guy who might have been protected if we had seen more of him this year. Um, you know, I do think he's at a little bit of a disadvantage compared to DeNoyer in the sense that I think he is probably more of a typical one-inning reliever than a multi-inning guy. But there's still a lot of things there to like about him. And I could see him getting protected. I think the other thing, too, is that sometimes he was trying to figure out if a player is going to stick. It's almost a matter of what team takes him. Because if you go back to Zach Pop in 2021, when he was ultimately ended up with the Marlins out of the Rule 5 draft, I think he was originally drafted by Arizona and then traded there. He was pretty bad the first month of the season. And you have to wonder if that had been a team that had aspirations of contending, would he have stuck the full year as it was, he did stick the full year and he was fine in in 2021. Um, But that's going to be part of it too, is what team takes these guys and what is their depth going to look like? And then with Bronowitz, I think there's an argument for taking him. If you feel like he's going to come back quickly Just like I said last week, I feel like we really don't know anything about where he is in his recovery process. And I have to wonder if he was close, would the Orioles have protected him? Um, And then it's also, too, what is that, what's it going to look like for him getting back on the mound and getting into his repertoire, especially because we know that knuckle curveball is a big pitch for him. Um, And how long is it going to take for him to get the full repertoire back? But, you know, yeah, that's a guy that I think had he not gotten hurt might've actually been in the big leagues before the year was over. And you could see where, you know, a team, especially when it doesn't have a ton of starting pitching depth at the top of its organization might take a flyer on him.
1: Yeah. I just don't see like teams, how many teams out there would truly are truly in a position to use a 40 man spot on a guy like Branovich or, like a a real project type pitcher, yeah. You know, I, I just don't see any teams wanting even teams that are tanking. Right, that's easy to say, but those guys are still they're still going to need every forty man spot possible. So you're really going to use it on some high A pitcher, a guy who hasn't reached high A yet, and try to work with him. I, I just I don't know if I see that anymore in today's game. And so that's why, you know, like you mentioned, this is going to be a deep class. It is going to be fun because not having a Rule Five draft last year certainly helps this grow this draft class again, but. Like from the Orioles' perspective, in terms of people being worried about other guys getting sniped, I'm not worried about the major league phase. Honestly, I'm worried about the minor league phase of the Rule Five draft. Like that's the phase that I'm (laughs) going to pay attention to more because I think that's where we could lose, you know, two three guys at least. And those guys don't have to stick anywhere. They they are part of that organization. You don't have to stick in AAA. You don't have to stick at any particular level. They can do whatever with you once as long as you pay. It's like ten grand, I think. But so that's the phase that I'd be more worried about as far as losing, losing pitchers specifically.
2: Yeah, I I could see that, especially if you're looking at the type of arms that could be starters or relievers um, in the middle of the organization. Well, that'll be something to keep an eye on here over the coming weeks. The rule five draft will be on December 7th and we'll have more extensive coverage leading up to that. That'll be part of this year's winter meetings next week. We'll be joined by John Mioli, the author of Maximizing Playoff Odds, a Baltimore Orioles newsletter. He's actually coming on to talk about his work with Baseball America and the Orioles prospect rankings, which he is doing once again this offseason. We're looking forward to having him on. That, by the way, for those keeping score at home, will be John's sixth appearance, putting him second behind Dr. Stephen Loftus at seven. Uh, so, something to think about as we head into tomorrow, as we get ready for next week. In the meantime, check out BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com for all the latest covers on the Orioles, Ravens, college sports, and more. And while you're there, hop on the message board and join in the discussion with fellow readers of this site as well as contributors. And be sure to follow us on Twitter. I'm going to give Nick a quick second here to talk about something we're actually starting in preparation for the World 5 draft on Twitter that's going to be interesting.
1: Yeah, I started this today just because I, I need something to do to pass the time over the next weeks. So uh, Vivek here in the comments, Vivek is the king. I'm sure we will get Vivek on as we get close to the Rule 5 draft to break these down. I'm no Vivek. I'm no expert here. But I've just been kind of going through. i got a thread up on Twitter. And we'll, we'll be updating until December 7th. Just intriguing names. They may not necessarily be guys that the Orioles have a shot of even targeting. So just interesting names numbers some videos something to do to help pass the time between now and december 7th for the uh rule five draft diehards out there
2: well we'll be looking forward to that thank you to daryl Hernes for making uh, an appearance on the show tonight for bob phelan and nick stevens this is zach sped and you've been listening to on the birds
3: That'll do it for this week's episode of On The Verge. Be sure to check out our Patreon page where you can help show your support for the show and get bonus content, including monthly top 50 updates to our prospect list and daily game recaps during the season and much, much more.